Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Yippee-ki, how's it going? <laughs> and today we are completing our series on Die Hard. We're, we're watching the final movie in the series uh, and talking about it today. And that movie is A Good Day to Die Hard. Remember the last time we talked just before you went away? Ah, oh, no. No, no, no. You're not going to open up to me right before we die. So that's not your thing, John. What's my thing? Fucking killing bad guys. That's your thing. You're not going to die today. This is... God, my ears. This is... <laughs> This is an American action thriller, father-son, vacation, espionage drama. Directed by John Moore, as in, I wanted more out of this film. Nice. <laughs> the, the cast, well, the cast includes... Jordan Here he is, the one and only winner of the Gemini Crockett Contest! <laughs> <laughs> Gemini. <laughs> it also includes, if this is Kyle Reese, I'm siding with Skynet, uh, Ramona Flowers, a bunch of goons, none of whom are Russian. And that's about it. Yes. And uh, I watched this movie on YouTube. Actually, I watched the extended cut oh, really? on YouTube. Uh, how did you watch it, Joy? I watched it on YouTube as well. I actually read that the extended cut cuts out all of the scenes that have Lucy in it. Is that that is completely true, which is uh, kind of weird, right? It's I, extended, but has less scenes in it. Yeah, especially because she's still credited. I was, I was like looking after, and I was like, wait a second, um, Ramona Flowers. What's her name? Uh, the actual actress, oh, uh, uh, Mary Elizabeth Ward. Is that her name? Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Winstead. That's right. Yeah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. But she's credited. I was like, wait a second. Did I just block that scene out of my memory? <laughs> She's not in there. But, but she apparently drops him off at the airport, right? Yes. Is that the yes. version you saw? Yes. She talks to him on the phone while he's in the car chase, and she drops him off at the airport, and it's like, like, like they seem to have be, you know, the relationship seems to have survived the transition between <laughs> Die Hard 4 and Die Hard 5. Which is unlike, rare. Yeah, it's unlike happen. every other relationship John's ever had. So, um, well, okay, yeah. because in the extended cut, he talks to his friend Murph at the shooting range. Do, do you? Yes. Did he, okay. Yes. And then Murph drops him off at the airport, but it's filmed really strangely because when Murph is dropping him off at the airport, Murph is totally cut out. Like the, the, the camera angle only shows half of the car of John like turning to talk to Murph. And like as he gets out of the car, he's like, thanks, Murph. But like you don't see his mouth move and you don't hear like see, you don't see anybody's mouth moving as he's like yeah. getting out of the car. And it's a really short. It's like, OK, we go from the shooting range instantly to being dropped off at the airport and then he's out of america why did they why would they do that it's a really good question he definitely does not talk to her in the car chase but we're getting ahead of ourselves here let's uh i think i think that's the biggest extended cut thing but maybe we will organically happen across the other changes as we discuss this movie but we'll do that after we go through our synopsis that you wrote for this movie so we'll get that started right now Super cop John McClane's estranged son, Jack, is in Russia, and he's in danger. John decides it's time to be super dad and go help his boy. 
John tracks Jack to a court building in Moscow, but just as he arrives, a bomb goes off, destroying the building and setting Jack free. John finds his son outside of the building, attempting to escape with a political prisoner named Yuri Komarov. It turns out Jack isn't just a delinquent. He's actually an international spy for the CIA, and it was his mission to rescue Komarov, who has dirt on a powerful Russian politician. Jack tells his dad to screw off and drives away. John's interruption ruined the CIA's delicate operation, and now the younger McLean has to resort to Plan B. There is an epic three-party car chase with Jack, a mercenary named Alec, and of course, super tourist John McLean. John and Jack escape to a safe house where Komarov agrees to leave Russia, but only if he can bring his daughter too. So the trio meet her in a weird ballroom in some random building. Komarov's daughter turns on her father and takes him hostage, and Alec and his goons show up to kill McLean and son. They escape by shooting their guns very good, not being shot by a giant helicopter, and by falling down some scaffolding. Father and son have a toxically masculine heart-to-heart where they decide to do the American thing and liberate Komarov and secure his information for the U.S. government. But what they don't know is not only was Komarov responsible for the Chernobyl nuclear disaster, but in true diehard form, he was not cooperating with the CIA for political reasons. He was actually doing it for money. Specifically, $1 billion of enriched uranium that he stored away years ago. John and Jack barely sneak into Chernobyl and confront Komarov. They figure out the truth pretty quickly, and then they engage in a fight that is so poorly lit and boring that I literally fell asleep. (laughs) Really? Yes. (laughs) Komarov gets thrown into some helicopter blades, and his daughter crashes her helicopter while trying to kill the McLeans. John and Jack, a little bloody, but in a cool way, return to the United States for a weird freeze frame. The end. There you have it. The fifth and final installment in the Die Hard series. A good day to die hard. Let's get started with our pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about this movie? Bruce Willis is likable and cool. And this actually kind of feels like a love letter to the Die Hard franchise in in some ways. And some of the action was amazing. What about you? This movie is rated R, and that's how Die Hard should be. There are multiple instances where they take full advantage of that, so uh, that's good. Uh, There's some heartfelt father-son moments that maybe were unearned, but did have some resonance with me. Did occur? They did occur, that's true. (laughs) And um, (laughs) there's a couple decent Die Hard 1 references that reward longtime viewers for sticking around. So I I kind of echo your uh, love letter to the Die Hard franchise. Um, But that's about it when it comes to pros. Let's move on to our cons. Wait, you got some cons for this movie? I definitely do. I'll go first on the cons. Okay. John McClane, in my opinion, is looking a little too old for this shit, okay? (laughs) (laughs) The old man McClane. And, you know, that's part of it in this movie because it's like a father-son thing, but I can only suspend my disbelief so much uh, when this old man is going around doing superhero things. Uh, The one-liners in this movie were not hitting like they normally do. Uh, It it was, you know, a lot of times McClane is really cool with those lines. It's a little cringe in this one uh, at some points. 
The main plot sucks. Uh, our heroes are invincible super soldiers, and as a result, the action is boring. Uh, John's sudden concern for his son is contrived. The main villain's evil plan is needlessly complex. Uh, I'm pretty sure radiation doesn't work that way. Uh, there's too much product placement, and the cinematography is bad uh, for the majority of the movie. What about you, Joy? You got any things you want to complain about this movie? This movie sucks. Um, <laughs> Jai Courtney is extremely uncharismatic. It, it looks and feels dull and boring. The story isn't engaging at all. The villains have barely any personality. There's literally no stakes. Actually, <laughs> the stakes become lower the more the movie continues. <laughs> Uh, yes. So, uh, lots to talk about, I think, yeah. in this one. So, let's go ahead and get it started, Joey. I had extremely low expectations for this movie. I have been dreading it ever since we started this series. I knew it was coming. I expected nothing. I knew that even if it was bad, it would still be fun to rag on it for the podcast. And yet, it still felt like a waste of time. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> this movie was completely unnecessary who cares that this is going on in russia i'm supposed to care that like there's some corrupt guy being elected in russia and that's gonna mean the end of the world yeah right okay <laughs> first off at the beginning of this movie they don't give john a lot of time to establish where he's at in his life at this point i don't know if this is different in the non-extended cut because the extended cut is like the, the opposite <laughs> of that different. somehow but in the extended cut it's just john mcclain at the shooting range talking to murph about how his son is in danger next thing you know he's literally on a plane to Russia. yeah yeah i think he mentions he's like going on vacation or something or he's gonna take some time off to investigate where his son is at you know um but you know i think he's working at the police station as a whatever a street cop is you know who shoots who has a gun and, and right. shoots criminals. And does not wear hearing protection when he's at the shooting range. That's right. That's for sure. But, you know, and, and again, I guess this criticism doesn't really land outside of the extended cut, but I'm wondering, where is his daughter? Uh, where is Justin Long? Okay, is that his son-in-law now? Yeah. I would like to know. It seems like they just plucked John out of retirement where he was doing fuck all by his lonesome and said, okay, it's time to suddenly give a shit about your son so that you have something to do. <laughs> it doesn't even seem like there's a particular reason. It's just that his son is in trouble with the law in Russia, even though we later find out that his son is basically always in trouble with the law. So it's not like there's even a difference from the rest of his life that John hasn't been involved in. Maybe this is like a... Um a commentary on like the uh the like hustle culture and like how that that extends to law enforcement it's like oh like the only time my son is in trouble is when i'm working so i finally have the opportunity to go on vacation the same time that he's in trouble and now i can finally intervene and it's literally taken me my entire career to get there my my side hustle is like <laughs> keeping my son out of international yeah, but prison. i can't do it because i'm always working i, I never can get some time off no, it's ridiculous. John has no real reason to decide to reconnect with his son. He just does it. And there we have the premise for the for the entire like arc for yeah. John and his son. And I like I said in my pros, like I do think this movie does a good job of having them grow closer through like the series of events in this movie. Like they they 
they consciously work towards that. No matter how ridiculous the scenarios are, it's clear that that's what they're trying to do. And I actually did think it was satisfying to hear him call out for his dad at the end of the movie. Uh, but the initial premise seems totally fabricated and made up, and it would have been better if this movie was just a fever dream that John was having <laughs> where he imagined that his son was literally a younger version of himself, <laughs> literally John McClane. Junior. He wakes up at the end. He's like in a coma because like he's got some shrapnel in his head or something. Yeah, no, he wakes up at the end of the movie and it's he's in the hospital from the end of Die Hard Four, <laughs> and then he looks at the camera and he's like, "Imagine if we, I, I actually, we actually made that piece oh, of man. shit." <laughs> and uh, but no, that's not what happens. Instead, we have the movie that we have, and it's uh, it's yeah, definitely didn't need to be made. Um, another thing that was frustrating was when John first gets to Russia and he finds his son. He's totally oblivious to the chaos that's going on around him. Now, maybe I can forgive this if John McClane was a kooky old man trying to reconnect with his action hero son, kind of like a dynamic where it's like action hero son has to protect his dad and like bring him along who he just doesn't get it. He's like, I yeah, guess yeah, Russia yeah. He's is just like, different. Right. He's like, oh, I'm like, he's kind of like a bumbling kind of fool, but he's like really well intentioned. And he's like, like, oh, I don't, why don't we have this guy with me? You know, oh, he's right. so annoying, whatever. But then he's like, oh, he like dispenses life wisdom. And he's like, sure. Oh, and maybe like, like this there's is a like, scene where yeah, he, I don't want you to just make the same mistakes i did son or whatever yeah right right and he's not an action hero but there's like right. the one scene where he does like pull, shoots one bullet and like shoots the bad guy that was about to shoot his son and it's like yeah. oh wow dad i guess you actually are kind of epic you know and like but no that's not what this is he's literally john mcclain he's the opposite of that okay <laughs> there's literally no one on the planet more familiar with explosions and gunfire than John McClane at this point. Okay, this is the fifth Die Hard movie. There's a lot of lore around this guy by now, okay? But instead of jumping into action, he saunters around like, what are you doing, son? And while that does build the tension because it feels like he's about to get shot or run over at any moment, it's just majorly frustrating to know that John would be jumping into action if he didn't know for certain that he's literally bulletproof at this point. On top of that, John just turns into a straight-up thug in Russia, committing two carjackings in the span of five minutes, <laughs> including a second carjacking where he straight-up gave some poor Russian guy a whole cold one on the chin before driving off in his Mercedes-Benz. Like, <laughs> he, he just straight-up... That was mean, though. He came out and yelled at him. Right, because John was in the street and didn't get out of his way. <laughs> Just, I mean, did you feel so? I felt like I was like, who is this? like villain i'm seeing on the screen right, right now right. well no i mean like they're like well we're just gonna come in here and kill people you know that was like kind of their thesis at the end after their heart to heart right they're like oh we're gonna like our thing is that we kill people basically <laughs> whoever we want to kill and, and since, it's Ru you know, since it's russia we're, we're gonna get away with it so right. Because Russian citizens, unlike American citizens, don't have intrinsic value. That's so right. So we can just murder them or, or punch them and steal their car. Except um, for that one guy who can sing who drives a taxi. That guy was cool. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll get back to that guy. But <laughs> anyways, I was really upset to see John McClane just stop being a good guy and start being kind of an asshat and, and breaking the law, in, even if it is in Russia, and stealing this guy's Mercedes Benz. By the way, Mercedes-Benz, what is this, the most popular brand in Russia? <laughs> Every vehicle John climbed into was a 
was a freaking Mercedes Benz. Okay. Did you catch that scene where the Mercedes ro- like runs over a Ferrari? No, I didn't notice that. That they were like, so I, may, I don't think it was when she was talking on the phone or anything. But like, uh, he's like driving it. He drives it off the bridge onto like a truck truck. Right. You know. Yeah. And yeah one yeah. of the cars on the truck is a Ferrari, and he runs it over with the Mercedes. I mean, can you be any more explicit? Right. Like, I, I actually kind I guess, like, in the battle of car brands, I can kind of appreciate that. And tasteful product placement isn't inherently bad, right? But this movie goes way overboard. From the sedans to the unassuming flatbed trucks, if it was moving, it had a big, fat Mercedes-Benz logo plastered across the front and the back of it. And all I can say is, boy, those machines sure can take a beating, can't they, Joey? <laughs> what an impressive feat of engineering. You know, Absolutely. you really ought to trade in your old clunker you've got <laughs> and start rolling in one of these. You think I will? I want to be just like John McClane and John McClane Jr. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so b- believe it or not, there are elements of film at play here. Uh, there is a plot, <laughs> there are characters, and there is, uh, but it's all kind of this thinly disguised shit sandwich there's meat in there but it's spoiled and generally off-putting speaking of jai courtney this movie seems to frame jack mcclain as the legacy option for Die Hard. they make him an international spy he's super strong and really good with guns he's basically generic action man you can envision jack mcclain as the new face of Die Hard, where Die Hard is a spy action thriller like mission impossible each story is loosely connected to the last, and they go into these exotic places and do cool stunts and save the world. You know, spy shit. The problem is Jai Courtney. Even next to Bruce Willis, who is not the world's greatest actor, this man has the personality of a board. He is, he is mad at his dad, impatient, and sort of quippy, I guess? I'm not actually sure what his personality is. He's certainly not the compelling and tragic hero that even John McClane is. He wants to complete his mission, but okay, but why though? And I got a quote for you right now. What's our next move? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know, right? I, I mean, I'm out of moves. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I screwed up. I blew the mission. Well, then we're done, right? Yeah, we're done. We're done. We should just go home. Stop by a little pharmacy on the way out of Moscow and get you some, you know, methylate or mercury and fix up your little scratches here. Get you home, a little toy set. Yourself a nice warm glass of milk with a little Bosco in it. CIA slippers. All right. What? I get it. What the hell are we gonna do? Listen, Shigarin, it's bad news. All right, it's the real deal. We see this guy in control. We're gonna see the whole thing fall apart. I'm talking terrorism, WMDs, nukes. Someone's gotta stop him. Well, that's what we do. We go out to cheap pep and do our thing. Our thing? Yeah. Go out there and kill all the scumbags. What? You got something better to do? All right. Pull it. This scene 
We will be returning to this scene. In this scene, John and Jack explain their motivations, which are, uh, I guess we aren't quitters. Uh, I guess keeping dangerous material out of the bad guy's hands is a good thing. But where is the connection here? Why does Jack McLean personally want this? In every other Die Hard movie, the stakes get ramped up over and over and over. At first, it's a terrorist attack, but then the hostages are dying. Planes are crashing. Schools are being threatened. McLean's daughter is in danger. In this one, it's like, oh, I guess we should do that because that's the mission. Jack isn't even upset. He isn't like, damn, I'm so mad that those guys got away with that. Makes my blood boil. I really want to get revenge for making them making me look stupid. I mean, that would be a bad motivation, but it's more than what we got. Instead, it was like, well, we don't have anything better to do. But the thing is, like, this movie actually spends more time with his main characters than almost any other diehard. Constantly, John McClane is trying to connect to his son, even in the middle of gunfights, like we played in the intro. There are several moments where they simply have quiet time alone and express how they feel about each other. We get another answer to the question of why is John McLean such a bad father? And I got that one too. When she was little, I was working all the time. I believed work was all that mattered. I screwed my kid's life up too. Work all the time, around the clock, most of the time in your car. I just thought that working all the time was a, a good thing, you know? Didn't help him at all. It's never too late. I hope. I think Bruce Willis plays the aging, regretful old man who is desperately trying to right his wrongs really well, actually. He felt like someone who I wouldn't mind following for five films. But maybe it's because this is the fifth movie in the franchise, or maybe it's just because there's no chemistry between our two leads. But I wish they had gone for the complicated, nonsensical, high-concept plot. They were always so silly, and it's hard to explain or understand, but they are also interesting and gave the villains personality and gravitas. Instead, it was boring and forgettable. Normally, I would say sacrificing complicated plot for more character building is the right call. But in this case, I'm rethinking that whole thing. Maybe the problem is that the movie really had neither story nor character. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and the villains are lacking as well. Possibly the worst we've seen in the entire Die Hard franchise. Oh, I, definitely. I think. Without contest, I think. Yeah. And, and so first off... They have Russian-sounding names that are difficult for me, an American, to remember, you know, so that's a problem. But it's also two guys that we know almost uh, nothing about going head-to-head in a conflict that has no real gravity for non-Russians, okay? And it turns out that both of them were bad guys. Yeah, what, what happened to, do? What happened to Sh- Shagarin, right? So they had this two, these two political guys, political, uh, I don't know, that, they're, one guy's a political prisoner, the other guy is a politician, right? right? And they used to be friends, and then they had a falling out, and like, there's a theme of partnerships that like, go bad in this movie, and how John and Jack's partnership is actually a good thing or something. I don't know. It's really weak. Um, <laughs> they, uh, but then Shigarin just disappears, you know? He never, like, they're like, oh, he's the bad guy or whatever. We got to keep him from getting the nukes. And then they show up at Chernobyl, and they're like, okay, well, actually, it's the guy that we've been carting around that's the bad guy. Now, Shigarin I'm not sure... It's wait, not wait, in the perked picture anymore. It, well, okay, so this might be a difference between the extended cut and the original, but in the extended cut, Shigarin gets killed by uh, being choked out by his massage 
like oh that's right servant. that's right because he's she's working for he's working for uh camera i totally forgot about that oh right but it it just it, like <laughs> i i do want to talk a little bit about the the plot or like not the plot but like the scheme that komarov came up with but yeah, I, I agree. He's kind of impotent and 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 unintimidating compared to what we were supposed to believe at the beginning of this movie. Yeah, right. Both of these guys, honestly, um, I don't know. Komarov kind of becomes intimidating towards the end, but both of these guys are bad guys. So having us try to choose between the beginning, like whoop de doo, don't care about either one of them. I guess the the lesson here is that Russia is just completely screwed. You know. What are we even doing there? The part where Jack is about to give up because like the helicopter flies away after missing with all of its bullets and then they <laughs> fell down the, the scaffolding. Um, I feel like the reasons Jack gave for why they have to stay and stop Shigarin are incredibly lazy. And we just heard him say them. Terrorism, WMDs, nukes. Like... <laughs> Jack, are you trying to tell me why we should stop Shigarin? Are you trying to convince the U.S. Senate that we should invade Afghanistan? Because these are the least original reasons I've ever heard. I think the real reason they wanted to stick around is because Jack and John were having a good time killing folks father-son style. Yeah, doesn't he say that? He says, like, I, you know, I know we've been killing a lot of guys, but it's been pretty fun, actually. He does say that. There's, like, that, that like, actually kind of touching moment right before they go into Chernobyl, like, right after they get out of the car yeah. at Chernobyl, where John is like, I had a really good time with you today. <laughs> and it's like, what the hell? Do you remember any of the stuff we did today, old man? Like, this has been a really traumatic experience for both of us, undoubtedly. Sure. But, but... No, they they really genuinely enjoy killings, folks, father son style, and uh, also they had nothing else to do, so it makes sense. That's why they stayed. And you know what? Maybe I would have been happy with that choice if I was enjoying any of the action. But the truth is, I really wasn't. The movie had plenty of super soldier moments with characters surviving massive falls, getting hit by cars, shaking off gunshot wounds, and literally yanking a length of rebar out of Jack's side with no consequences at all. No stakes associated with any of the action in this film made it feel hollow and boring, okay? And this is, you know, echoes of Die Hard 4. And when they were trying to decide if they should leave or like give up and leave or keep fighting, I was actually rooting for them to give up because <laughs> that's where I was at with the action at that point in the movie. Yeah, well, it's just weird for your characters to just be like, well, one option is for us to just not do it, you know? And like for that to be, like they kind of say it sarcastically, sort of, but it's not even clear. It's like, I guess that would be a thing you could do. I mean, and then that makes you think, why are they even doing this in the first place? Yeah. And what would be the goal if they did succeed, right? Yeah, I, I, it's just, and then, yeah, that whole thing was like, oh, I had a fun time with you. It was like, just lowers the stakes even further because it's like, oh, I guess we're just out for a stroll. You know, I guess this isn't like a matter of life and death. This is just like, you know, a normal thing to do with your son or something. Right. I mean, going back to the genre that we put for this movie, it is a vacation movie. The John yes. is on vacation. This is recreation for him. And uh, that's, I mean, the stakes are not very high when you're doing recreation. <laughs> so, yeah, just it just was really disappointing. Another thing I was disappointed in was that I feel like they didn't take advantage of being in Russia. 
Like, I feel like we didn't get to see all that much of Russia in this movie. Like, we didn't spend that much time in any distinctly Russian settings or make any Russian friends. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but John has a genuine moment with a Russian cab driver, but mm-hmm. they spend the whole time talking about New York. <laughs> you know, like, this this movie could have taken place in any country that has a different language, except for the inclusion of Chernobyl. Uh, it could have been in any country. The whole point is just they're speaking a different language. That's it. Well, yeah. I mean, almost none of it was filmed in Russia, so that makes sense. Uh, but mm-hmm. again, like, like you're saying, like you could have some establishing shots of like the Kremlin or, you know, other, I, I don't know any Russian landmarks, but, you know, other famous Russian landmarks. Yes. You know? Or, in, yes, introduce us to Russian culture. Show have us some signs in Russian or something. Even. Like, do some Russian shit. Drink vodka. Yeah. Like, a, a, anything. But it, they didn't. They didn't. They were just like, it's in Russia. That's it. Right. <laughs> Dress uh, up in also, a tracksuit. Wear a lot of Adidas. Yes. Like, you know, I know that having Chernobyl is distinctly Russian, but even that, the inclusion of Chernobyl, I feel like was supposed to have some sort of real gravity with the reveal that that's these guys were involved in Chernobyl. But I felt nothing (laughs) like, okay, Chernobyl did actually happen. It was a tragedy, but it's not like these villains are like plotting a second Chernobyl. (laughs) It's yeah, just, it was like it was an accident, wasn't it? Or were they trying to do it? Were they doing? Did they do it? On purpose? They got no. It was an accident. They got greedy with the way that they were selling uranium, and a, a tragedy occurred. Okay, and yeah, that like, sucks. as if that's a uniquely Russian problem. Exactly. You know? Or it, even yeah, that greed. Three Mile Island. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it just felt like fluff. And also, like I said in my cons, I'm pretty sure radiation does not work like that, where you can just be like, <laughs> let me just spray some Lysol yeah. on it. <laughs> if it was that easy, then why is it still a problem? <laughs> yeah. Um, also, the movie tagline, the tagline for this movie is yippee Mother Russia. <laughs> but somehow the movie still misses the mark entirely on utilizing the Russian setting. Yeah. Big, big time miss. No, I, you're absolutely right. It could have been filmed anywhere. It's just not America, essentially. Right. yippee right. Mother Fiji. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a movie I want to see. yippee mate. We're in Australia. <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> yippee kaye, amigo. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that, that was, I think, another major miss. Uh, and, and then um, another thing I, I think we always dis- discuss when we talk di- diehard movies is the villain's plot, right? I don't know if it was ever explained how Yuri was able, or uh, Komarov, was ha- able to pull all the strings from the inside the prison right was it always his plan to be put away for five whole years like why did he wait so long what happened in prison where he was able to like turn the tides and and pull off his big scheme how did he get the massage guy to kill shigarin at like the perfect time and like why did he have to have like this double cross as part of the plan Uh, i I guess okay so he was it's confusing to know who was working for him and like what they knew too, right? Because he had those mercenaries that they w- were trying to capture him after the, um, the, whatever it's called, the, um, 
explosion at the courthouse where Jai Courtney comes in and saves him, right? Right. But that, that clearly seemed like that was part of the CIA's plan was to blow it up. But it was no, 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 because Alec the CIA and the was rest trying to get them, him out of the country. Right. Alec and the rest of them were... Oh, man, yeah. It, uh, like, what order so, did this stuff happen? So, yeah. So, like, they brought him to the courthouse where they were going to basically kill him. The, the, the government, the Shigarin, was going to have him killed. But mm. because he owns everyone in the courtroom. So, like, it was basically going to be a kangaroo court. But then Jai Courtney was sent there by uh, Komarov because Komarov hired him to do a killing to get him into the courtroom as like to get him into the system where he could say I could testify against Komarov so bring me into the courtroom too and they put them in the glass boxes and then Komarov blows up the courtroom and knows that Yuri's going to survive that because he's in the glass box so they go in there to find him but he's missing because the CIA is trying to rescue him and that but Komarov knew that that was going to happen and his plan was to use the to like trick the CIA guys to bring him to the ballroom where the like Shigarin's guys would be there and be tricked into bringing him he would find his key and bring them to the hiding place where he had all the uranium with his and he would open the the vault with his key and then he would betray them then and reveal that like <laughs> no so I, many i'm not following crosses. this doesn't make any sense like <laughs> um no but like like as hard as we are as hard it is to kind of wrap our minds around what the logistics of this was the, the plot is so simple right it's like okay i gotta go to the place i gotta trick the cia or whoever to bring me to the place but and then I'm going to have like a file there, but the file is not there. Instead, it's a bunch of uranium that I'm going to sell and I'm going to right, try right. whoever brings me there and, and then sell it. I mean, that's like, that's, you know, pretty basic stuff. You know, wh- where's all the like, where's the boat? You know, where's the, the, um, the like elaborate, um, like, you know, signage and like, oh, like we're going to take hostages, but we're actually just stealing from the vault. And, you know, there's all this like, there's all these layers to all these different diehard movies that, um, that go on. I mean, even the diehard, uh, live for your diehard, the fire sale thing was extremely complex and they had like, they had to kill all the hackers and stuff. There was a lot of different elements that were going on in there and they had to go to that special place and have the guy that was hacking that thing too. So this just didn't have any of that. Instead, they focused more on like, okay, let's see how, like how many times they can shoot their guns in a straight line, you know? Um, and there were some moments where like they were talking to each other, but it was just it was just empty, honestly. Right, and yeah, honestly, again, it, that is something that comes with diehard movies is kind of a complex villain's plot, and that's I think can be part of the charm. But in this one, it just seemed uh, contrived, and which I don't know, maybe that's I, it's one of those course. things. It's like I, I guess uh, I didn't know I missed it till it was gone, you know? Right. You know, yeah. like the second <laughs> one is so crazy. Like they're crashing planes and they're in that bunker, you know? And he's like, I'm the last domino is going to fall. He never gets a chance to even say what it, like his philosophy is besides he hates journalists. Right. <laughs> like it's so it's so wacky. Um but like I don't know. Like you got so much you got so much out of him. You got yeah. and there was a build up to like the real the big bad guy that were bringing in on the plane, right? And right. he like he didn't get a lot of screen time or anything, but you kind of got this the feeling that he was a, you know, he was really dangerous and really like powerful. 
Um, and the other guys were like really politically motivated and really smart. And they had the army on their side. You know, it was, uh, there's so many different elements going on um, in that. And this, it's like, it's really like two parties and they're technically the same party because they're all Russians. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like, I'm actually sorry that I asked. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they can descri- they can explain all this on their own. I don't actually care. Well, um, one other thing I wanted to just get your opinion on is what did you think of the car chase? Because I, I read other some other reviews of this movie, and it's pretty much all bad. But the ones that said it was good or had positive things to say were like, the car chase is truly epic. And uh, I want to get your take on that. There were a couple of really cool moments. There was that moment where they fire the um, missile backwards, and then John spins the car around. Like that was ridiculous. Press was, circle was... to perform spin move. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So I didn't like that. I thought I that, thought was, that was. I thought that was okay. It was interesting, and it <laughs> yeah. was like it only works because the car is shaped the way it is and everything. Well, it only then, works because it's a Mercedes Benz. That's true too. Because they could do that. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and then the part where they force the big armored truck off of the highway and it crashes into that giant concrete tube was cool i like any moment where i'm like i'm like watching a movie and i literally go whoa like i'm like okay you know what that impressed me despite myself so and that definitely happened i was like i was like whoa that looked amazing because it looked pretty real it looked like they had really done it oh Um, yeah yeah I, i read that that was kind of the director's uh you know he wanted a lot of it to be uh like Practical. only use special effects in the background and and try to make everything actually real for that for the stunts which i appreciate but i don't know my take on it was it was too long and i really hated the shaky cam that mm-hmm. was used to film the whole thing i couldn't tell what was going on and it felt very too like too die too hard <laughs> for me and i i just i just felt out of place uh, so I, I thought it was ambitious and I appreciated some of the moments in it, but overall I was like, eh, didn't, I had over. a certain level of like realism that was not present in the final fight scene, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, um, it had like a nice kind of scale that was easy to understand. Like, okay, we've got three different people and we're just the cars they're in and here's how it's going to work. A lot of the decisions that they made didn't make any sense where like he, uh, he decides to ram the giant, like, military vehicle with his tiny... Knock, knock. Cheap. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> what's that going to do? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, whatever. Uh, right. I, it was my favorite... It's probably my favorite scene in the movie. Okay. Yeah, and I felt like we couldn't review this movie without at least mentioning that scene. So, overall, I think this movie did not need to be made. unjustified sudden interest in john's son way too late in the game to be organic combined with a plot conflict that truly does not matter to our protagonists and a style of action that is hollow and boring a sure sign that all of the quality and value that the diehard series had to offer has now officially been wrung out couldn't say it better myself so that is going to uh, wrap up our overall section. Let's move into our cool Easter eggs, and I'll, I'll get us started. So something I picked up on that uh, am I, when I was reviewing some of the scenes after, after I watched the movie was the conversation between Komarov and Shigarin in the prison at the very beginning of the movie. Komarov spins the chessboard around 
that he's playing chess on it, very intentionally and the mm. camera picks up on it and this is signaling how the tables were, will turn in the third act ah so i thought that was that was i, I don't know i thought that was kind of clever could have been sure. if this movie was better that would be something i would really appreciate um, <laughs> then uh the shot I feel like this is like the, the lowest hanging fruit possible for Easter eggs, but the shot where Jack throws Yori off the building and he falls in slow motion is a pretty epic homage to the iconic Alan Rickman falling scene from the original Die Hard. And yeah, I really except that he that. gets chopped by... <laughs> right. After, <laughs> after that, he falls into Blades. But the scene or the actual slow motion release of him where Jack is just throwing him... It's so clearly referential, and that's cool. I've I, that is forever seared into my brain. The yeah. shot of Alan Rickman f- beginning his free fall, and I really appreciated them referencing that. And you know, I would recognize that shot in any movie as a re- as a reference to Die Hard. So, um, very cool. And also, something I read on Wikipedia: the film, uh, this film, was originally titled Die Hard Twenty Four Seven. And there's media speculation that the film would be a crossover between Die Hard and the 24 series. Oh, my God. With <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland reprising his role as Jack Bauer alongside John McClane. No way. And Okay. And this was never confirmed by the studio. And it, the movie's not called Die Hard 24-7. So, like, this is all just rumors. And so, don't there's probably no credibility here. But I think that's such an epic idea. Yes, they should have had those guys team up that and cross so over their universes. Amazing. Oh my god! Especially since most of the Die Hard movies take place over the single, like over a couple of hours or like yes. a single day. You know? Yes. Yes, that and it's totally like, work. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it would have been perfect. I think that would have been because that's a reason to make another Die Hard. Is yeah. because you got an opportunity to to combine. combine. It with, 24. Yeah, something else. Yeah, like it's wacky. It's definitely you know raising the stakes and, and like taking things to a new level. And even if it's not better than like existing diehards, it's some. It's a reason to make another one. So I, like, I wish and, that's what this was. And I think you know, I think Die Hard Four especially is very tonally similar to Twenty Four. You know, Twenty Four has a little bit more gravitas to it. There's a lot more kind of. There's a lot more tragedy in Die Hard, in uh, Twenty Four. A lot of people, more people die, um, but it's uh, it's got the same kind of level of action where it's just like constantly stuff is happening every hour. Literally, something is happening, and Kiefer Sutherland is being shot again, and in the next hour he's fine. You know, it's classic <laughs> Die Hard. Um, die Hard Twenty Four Seven. It sounds like a streaming service that I'm going to start, where it, all it is is Die Hard movies. <laughs> You can't choose which one to watch. It's just constantly on a loop. Yeah, constantly on a loop. Watching all of them. <laughs> and the fifth one plays twice in a row. <laughs> well, good. I mean, it is one of the shorter ones, so maybe that's why you yeah, have to do that. Yeah, more commercial time. Uh, but anyways, that's uh, those are the cool Easter eggs. Let's move on to our quotable moments, and I've got the first one. Do you know what I hate about the Americans? Everything. Especially so I love how when he says this scene, John McClane is like, oh, okay, yeah, like, that's <laughs> like me. me. <laughs> I'm the cowboy. <laughs> Let we've me all, take my every, spurs off. <laughs> yeah, we've seen 
Die Hard 1, where I come up with the yippee ki thing, and uh, Alan Rickman talks about cowboys and, and refers to me as a cowboy, so I'm clearly a cowboy. Like, even though I'm not wearing anything distinctly cowboyish, I just met this guy, so he doesn't know anything about my cowboy like b- parallelism or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> I know that you're referencing me. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's kind of a cynical take on it. I do like that they're referencing that, because that is definitely... Uh, John McClane is kind of the modern day cowboy or a more modern iteration of a cowboy yeah but but that's not necessarily what i want to talk about i want to ask you what did you think of this guy the dancer (laughs) cringe or not cringe that is the question (laughs) go quick with it it. i don't have to think about it at all (laughs) (laughs) that was my reaction too i was like what is this guy doing dancing around and kicking these guns like i don't yeah i don't know but it's all in the execution just because you dance doesn't make you cringe that's not what i'm saying but But it wasn't even that good yeah it was silent like the fact that he was like he started being like i could have been a dancer for real i was like is he fucking around or is he being serious and he was being serious i don't know what the i i hate the cliche of okay let's monologue to our heroes you know what i mean like like just shoot them just shoot them right now you know i would have so much more respect for a movie that like did that that like subverted that stupid cliche that was like okay Let's not, you know, let's not spend five seconds or five minutes building up to the fact that I'm going to shoot you. Let's just shoot you, you know, and then uh, write the movie so that you, the guys get out of it anyway, right? That's cooler than like, oh, uh, he, he let his guard down for long enough and Jai Courtney was able to, you know, snag his little uh, knife out or whatever Dude, and yeah, no one you- noticed. There's a way that you could uh, satisfy you and what the movie wants. So you could have him shoot jai courtney immediately but the bullet goes clear through him and breaks the zip tie behind him and then he like <laughs> attacks <laughs> that's hilarious and he's fine just, just uses mean, the fact that he can't be like hurt by bullets <laughs> as an advantage i mean he got fucking imp- impaled by rebar and he just yeah. walks it off so yeah i think that that would actually work canonically in die hard five so, uh, yeah, but anyways, the point here is that the dancing villain was cringe, and I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> so I, I referenced earlier that we we're going to return to my favorite scene, our favorite scene in the yes. movie. Um, and here's the end of that scene uh, uh, again for you. You got something better to do? All right. Pull it. You're not going to cry, are you? Just pull it. Everybody needs a good cry once in a while, Jack. <laughs> Don't be ashamed. Pull it. Remember that time when you and Ralphie Mauser were going to have that house painting job? Got your finger caught in the ladder. You cried for about five, six days. John, just pull it. All right. Come on. One, three. Can you get one, two? Last time you had a tetanus shot. You alright? Yeah. We need a car. Okay, so this is gonna lead into my overall feelings about this franchise, but this scene sucks so much. Like <laughs> I hate the like if it, as if there was any wonder at this point why uh John's kids don't love him. You know, like this is this is such a like a oh toxic 
toxic masculinity is the way to go. Oh, like, are you going to cry because you have some shrapnel in you? Like, remember that time <laughs> when you were a little boy and you cried for five days? Like, why would you bring that up? Why? Like, what, what's the purpose of this? Is it just to prove that you're more of a man than he is? As if you've never cried, John McClane? Like, is, and that's like a, something that you're proud of, you know? I don't know. It's it's. I hate that. Like this is where we're left off. You know, it it, it seems like John's trying to connect with his son because he wants to. It seems like he's like trying to amend, like make amends and stuff. But then when it gets down to it, when he's like, when his son is at the lowest point, you know, when uh, the climax of the movie is about to happen because your hair is at the lowest point, right? He's like, ah, toughen up, boy. Come on, you know, get some shrapnel in you. Don't you gonna cry like a little bitch? Come on, not my boy. You know, you want a little bit of warm milk with uh, Basco in it. Basco, yeah, Basco. I got my wrong brand, but like, yeah, it's 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 just classic toxic masculinity. I mean, it's the it's the most that you've ever seen out of John McClane. You know, like even though every other movie, it's like his methods have always won out, and people like who found him brash eventually got turned to agree with him. Right? It was never explicitly like I'm like. I don't believe in crying or like, I don't, uh, I don't express myself, you know? Um, I mean, he does say like, he, there is that moment where he says like, love you boy, but it's so forced, you know, it's like, (laughs) it's like not even Bruce Willis. Like what is Bruce Willis doing in this moment? Right. Is he acting like he doesn't, he can't say I love you to his son, you know, like he can't even, he can't even when he's acting as his most iconic character perform like emotional connection you know what i mean or at least unwilling to i think that that was actually like decently spot on with like how difficult it is for like men to connect yeah to i each hate other. that i hate that <laughs> portrayal because i i think that it's just reinforced by stuff like this instead of being like i don't even think it's accurate i think it's just showing like this is how men should act you know i see yeah. and i and i like it's I awkward just, and it should be right and i, I hate that um yeah, I just feel like this. And like the thing that bothers me so much is that in the very first movie, right, there's that very powerful scene where John is it's the same moment in the film. He's down in his luck, doesn't know how he's going to get out of it. And he calls Holly and apologizes and says, like, I, I was wrong. I did, I did something bad or whatever. And sure, like this is the heat of the moment. And he's like, adrenaline is pumping. And, you know, this is like the moment when you say, like, everything you want to say whether it's you know true or not you know because right. you're gonna, you're gonna get another chance he's almost definitely gonna die in the next right. scene yeah so but like that moment feels so emotionally like secure but also like he's um expressing something real you know whereas in this it's like i'm performing uh masculinity i'm performing tough guy you know uh, this is how tough guys are instead of being like instead of being that person that we all fell in love with in the first Die Hard movie, who was emotionally um, like able to go to a new place and, and self-reflect. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm going to use that as my jumping off point for our next section, which yeah, uh, Joey, we are... I believe you know uh, what time uh, it is. <laughs> it's time for us to go a little deeper. deeper. So this is our last die hard movie and um in the die hard franchise so i think it's time for us to reflect on the series the last five podcasts we've done about this and um talk about exactly how we feel about the whole thing um so i think it's it's 
to, to jump back off of what I was just talking about, it's weird. I believe the world is getting better. I don't buy this idea that we're getting dumber or meaner or less empathetic. Sometimes it feels that way. But the trend of history has led us to an unprecedented time of prosperity. Perhaps the bottom will fall out and disaster will strike, but generally, people are happier, living longer, and enjoying more freedom than ever before. People are freer to express themselves than ever before, and old ideas are being challenged and new ones embraced more than ever before. But this isn't true for movie sequels. In general, the, the more sequels something has, the more the story suffers. It's rare that a movie franchise gets better with time. And even when it does, we're all surprised. If we say stuff like, well, I, we'll see if they can keep doing it, or I'm just waiting for the bubble to pop, or, or stuff like that. Die Hard is the quintessential example of this. It is the franchise of diminishing returns. With each sequel, the original becomes more and more abstract, until in the end, you're sort of left with a copy of a copy. So let's talk about what works about Die Hard and why it's still remembered so fondly. And you can jump in anytime, Benjamin. The, the first movie had a lot going for it. It had heart. It was interesting. The story was easy to understand. The stakes were high. It had a clear vision and themes to adhere to. Its characters were interesting and memorable. It had action. It had tension. It was just kind of cool in general. In short, it had everything a great movie has. Um, all pieces worked together in harmony. Everything was balanced. There were slow moments and high-octane moments. There were moments that were sweet and moments where you wanted to hide your face and moments that made you laugh. Yeah, like Die Hard, the original Die Hard is such a unique film and has aspects of it that just don't, you don't see in other movies. For instance, the kind of like mixing Christmas in there. Yeah. And then also having John be barefoot the whole movie. Like things that seem like a one-off movie, like things only a one-off movie could have. Yes, right? And like cuz referencing or doing that again is is trite, you know? And but like it still had this feeling of being self-contained, you know, and wasn't trying to do something really crazy. It was just trying to tell an interesting story. And it was character driven. It had a bunch of little like a lot of these little memorable scenes. That that scene with um Hans and McLean where they they're like, you know, bluffing each other. It's so cool. And you don't get that in any of the other diehards. Um so yeah, I mean, I, we want, when we we can go back and listen to that first one. I don't think it's people say it's the best movie ever. It's a, it's a, it's the greatest movie ever made or whatever. I don't really agree with that. I think it has some of its problems, but compared to all the other ones, it really falls off the cliff pretty quick. And and I wouldn't mind going back and watching that and and enjoying it um, many many times into the future because I think it really does hold up uh, well and it has a lot of things that it does really well. If you were looking for the template to make a action movie, Die Hard is a perfect place to start um, because it does so many different things um, like, you know, just really well. Right. And it, it's hard to look at, you know, a different time period for when movies came out and know the totality of what was going on, especially when it was before I was born. But it feels like a fresh idea and it feels like a lot of things that come out, action movies that come after that maybe are derivative of Die Hard, where Die Hard, when it first came out, was like, a, a, you know, very original. Yeah, exactly. So the second movie had only a few of those elements. It still very felt, still felt very much like it was original. Um, it had similar pacing and it had a full plot. The characters were fun, um, like the uh, 
uh, the air traffic control captain, right? He had that deep voice, um, and the and the cop that hated McLean and told him he was a hothead and everything. Uh, and like the twist kept the tension up. It went bigger, which isn't necessarily better, but it's not necessarily necessarily worse either. Right. No, I totally agree. And it kind of stuck to the same one location, short amount of time. It adhered to a lot of the... It started to establish, it's like, okay, so these are the things that are classic Die Hard. Um, and, and it stuck to those things. Yeah. And it's also the time when you start to see John sort of morph into the super soldier thing, right? There's Definitely. A lot of, there's a lot of moments where he's just out on his own instead of asking for help. It, when, um, even though there's lots of people that could help him around him. And there's uh, you know moments where people are shooting at him, but he never gets hit, all that sort of stuff. Um, so the third movie was cool too. It had a, a slightly different tone, uh, but it was elaborate and full of surprises. John McClane felt more like a person than he did in the second one. And, and tying the story directly to him gave it weighty stakes. Um, ultimately, it was crazier, but it still didn't have the magic synergy that the first one did. Right, and it also introduced a new aspect that at in Die Hard's totality, you could say, like, is kind of a Die Hard thing, but wasn't in the first two, which is, like, the buddy cop, the, yes. the partner in crime, or, or not crime, but, you know, the partner character, the sidekick, um, which, while I do think works in this film, um, doesn't always work in Die Hard. It's, uh, uh, it's, it hasn't been perfected. It, right. Uh, for... Like for Zeus, they had a really charismatic uh, Samuel Jackson's character. Zeus was was very different than McLean, and that made their relationship interesting. And their chemistry actually worked together well. But Zeus had nothing to do. And then in um, Live for Your Die Hard with with Justin Long, they um, they kind of went the other way, right? He had a lot to do, but their chemistry wasn't quite at at that same level right and then right. in this one they didn't really have any either of those things um not really i mean i guess right. jack courtney has is really kind of the main driver of the plot and, and mclean is the buddy but um like the the charisma isn't there and it's not like one of them has a special skill that the other one doesn't have you know what i mean they're, they're yeah both the jack same. courtney is literally just like it's he's literally john mclean jr <laughs> yes he he's literally in that. every sense <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah so but, but like going I, I, back to yeah, go Die Hard 3, uh, you still had like the complex, multifaceted villain uh, plot yes. that has some sort of political or worldview that's driving it, but ultimately is actually about stealing money. Yes, which I think is great. I love that twist every time. I think that it's... Um I think it's believable, uh, even though the, yes. the plot itself is not believable. You know, it's like, oh, we're not doing this for like, we have this complicated like reason or whatever. But it's just like um, Bloodsport says to um, uh, Peacemaker in the Suicide Squad. It's like, I think people just do whatever they want and say why they're doing it later. You know, yes, uh, to totally. paraphrase. Um, and I, yeah, I think that that carrying through for Die Hard is a great one. And I agree. I think the buddy thing is. A strong element and if this franchise was to continue it's something that i would like to see more of actually um yeah so let's go to the fourth one then the fourth one is where things really diverged it really felt different than the other three die hard has always been influenced by the era it was made in but that played a huge role in live free uh, john mcclain is older the situation is too complicated to even explain and the action is just so over the top it's cringy um here layers of die hard have been shed in a weird misshapen core is revealed 
Uh, yeah, I got, totally, I totally yeah. agree with you saying that like things really diverge here. Die Hard Four feels very different from the first three, and it's the beginning of maybe thinking, wait, did we? really need to keep making these like <laughs> could we have left this as a trilogy and and have the series be better off for it yeah i think it still has some of those i think it still has some good elements which is the plot is based off of something else which is which has shown success in the other ones right yes um and i think that that high concept idea of the fire sale is pretty strong for a movie plot and interesting um, to think about, right? It, yes, it leaves yes. you with something. Totally. Um, but they were, yeah, again, it's very much like we're going to Mission Impossible territory where it's like, this is an action movie. They're going all over the place. Action-y things are happening. And we got our, you know, super cop here to guide us through it. Um, it but like the rest of those elements, like, uh, I mean, I guess John's family is involved, but like his relationship with Holly and like that is kind of, put to the side um his like uh just like the the general like interacting with the public is totally out the window and like yeah and also the one location thing like you could say that even die hard three took place just in new york city and in this one it's like we have to get in a helicopter and fly to west virginia yeah they're all over the east coast i'm literally the only person who can be like the driving force for good in this movie whereas like you can imagine a different movie where john mcclain is calling people saying hey you have to go out there or something even though the phone lines are down or something he's got you know he's making contacts you know he's reaching out for help like you see that over and over again in die hard three and die hard one uh where he's like he's in constant contact with his superiors and talking to the other guys say here's what's going on here's what i need you to do you know and that that works well because it's like okay he's not on his own you know he's not he's doing the logical thing what a real person would do which would be to reach out to the proper authorities at least try especially when you're one of those authorities right like it's not like they were just random people or like he can't trust the cops he knows these guys you know this is what Mm -hmm. he would normally do so yeah and then there is the death throes in the death throes of the franchise. <laughs> while it is, to- tr- while it tries to worm its way parasitically into Jai Courtney, it starts to wear the skin of its former self, redressing old forgotten themes and pretending that they've always been there, attempting to transform the franchise from an action thriller to just action to family action drama. But ultimately, this only reveals just what is now obvious. A good day to die hard didn't kill die hard. It just revealed that it has been long dead for for time now totally no i i agree with that and earlier what you said that this at a point at a certain point the series start to starts to feel like a copy of a copy yeah die hard four felt so different and die hard five felt like die hard four two you know <laughs> like it, it was like okay this is even more removed it's like this movie that was removed from the series like not, like like a degree of separation or a d- degree of abstraction away from what we consider to be Die Hard, and then they made a sequel of that. Yes. So then it, it, you apply all of the things you assume about a sequel, and that that gives you Die Hard. Right. Five. Like you just keep iterating, and it keeps getting mutated over and over again. It's like when you, you get... deep fry an image, <laughs> <laughs> it yes. so ends up being so different. Yes. So the legacy of the original movie is extremely powerful. And I think some of these movies are worth rewatching, especially the original three. The execution of uh, these complicated plots, both by the villains and the filmmakers, is impressive. And something other franchises really can't hold to die hard. Uh, Even other spy thrillers don't attempt something as ambitious as 
having like an entire fire sale type thing, right? The only, I like that reminds me of like Pirates of the Caribbean stuff where like the Pirates of the Caribbean's plot is so complicated and it's like based in mythology that they've written for the story that, but they don't explain. Like it's, it's so like, uh, it's so conceptual and then there's all these weird things start happening. And that's kind of in the same vein that I think the Die Hard movies are in, except for the last one, which is really more of a straightforward idea. And John McClane is a, ca- is a classic action hero. Um, he will be re- replicated and emulated for many decades. He's the modern-day cowboy, like we mentioned before. Ordinary, yet extraordinary. Easy to like and easy to cheer for. He's not complicated or unique, really, but he proves the power of the simple, heroic hero. Not an anti-hero or a superhero or the chosen one. He's just a guy like you or me. No, and, and I think that will stand the test of time. Plenty of people still love Die Hard, even if yeah. they've seen the fifth one. And John McClane is still easily refer, uh, referenced, you know? So it's like, even... I, I, I dislike unnecessary sequels and i'm always worried that creating a movie that doesn't need to be made will tarnish the reputation of the original and and that's probably true with die hard as well but the the original and the original trilogy uh stand strong still i think yeah i think so and i think like i wouldn't mind rewatching any of those um just because they're they're a lot of fun and uh there's a lot of stuff that they do well i think and the the but then four four is a little interesting. If you wanted to, I think if you wanted to complete the set, I think four is worth watching. Five, I would be like, eh, <laughs> skip maybe, it. Maybe you should skip it. I think that it's just it just doesn't have any of the same things that we loved about the original. It, and it's trying to it's trying to be that. It's trying to force that, but it doesn't do it well enough for for me to care. So. I the reason why I wanted to talk about Die Hard in the first place is because I watched this video years and years and years ago, uh, but on Crack.com by this guy named Daniel O'Brien, uh, who is a brilliant writer. He actually uh, writes for uh, Last Week Tonight um, on HBO now. Uh, he uh, he wrote the, he made this video called um, like four things that are more important to Die Hard than Bruce Willis or something like that. I can't remember the, some clickbaity title, but he has a formula for Die Hard movies. He, he claims to be a diehard expert, and I tend to agree with him. Um, his four elements are down-in-the-luck protagonist, wrong place, wrong time, limited location, and black people. Um, he, his, uh, his thing, he's just like, I don't know what I'm saying about this with black people being in the movie. I just know that the more black people are in the movie, the better the diehard is. Um, so, I, you know, I guess you're, you know, maybe there's a correlation not causation here but who knows uh probably just, but it's element. yeah no you can't you you like it or hate it he's spitting straight facts it's true so what he does in the video which i it's worth checking out it's like eight minutes long it's it's pretty funny um is he uh makes the case that die hard doesn't necessarily have to have die hard in the name and that other movies can be die hards or diehard like movies and because they have these core elements that make it good. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? I think that that's a really uh, hopeful message because <laughs> you can have diehard live on in sequels that are unofficially diehard, right? right. Because they, they fit those same uh, things. And I, I do think that these, uh, these four aspects are definitely true. Um, and, and 
I wish there was more of them, really, because originally I thought Die Hard had a lot was going to have a lot to say about news and um, <laughs> and bureaucracy. Yeah, you know, there were these threads that they were weaving in the first one that survived for a couple of movies, but eventually like, barely we lose. It became more and more like yes, like imperialism. You know, right? It became totally. more and more like uh, just like we need to blow stuff up because that's the right thing to do. You know, it became more like a. Uh, what's like you in, inflicting your will on other people, uh, which is sort of the opposite of what mm-hmm. John McTiernan was trying to do with the original, which was more like we have to respect the everyday person because they ha- are a lot more capable and and uh, you know they they can they can see things clear more clearly than bureaucrats or um, you know people with special titles or whatever. Right. And and like the news thread was like originally journalism bad. Yeah. And then the second one is irresponsible journalism bad. And then the third one was like sometimes the news is bullshit, but like they can't help it. Like the, sometimes they ask the cops what's going on and the cops lie to them. So <laughs> that's it. And it's barely like that's really reaching. The third one really doesn't touch on it at no. all. Um, so while I wish there was more like when I think what makes classic Die Hard, like I'm thinking things from Die Hard 1 that I wish were in the other ones, but that's not a really a good way to go about it. Um, I think that you can lean on these four things and say, yeah, that's Die Hard. Really, I think three. I think the saying black people thing is more of a correlation than, than causation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that, um, I mean, they're pretty broad, right? Down is luck, uh, wrong place, wrong time, limited location. Like, like uh, Dread uh, sort of has two of these elements which is like wrong place wrong time and limited location uh but like your protagonist is, is like a super soldier super cop so it's not not quite the same thing but you know he's up against um a lot of elements right so it's, it's not clear if he's going to make it or not so like this is a um i think you, you can take pieces of this and it will make things into a good movie the raid i think is a really good example um that, that korean action film is amazing uh the action the movie is probably the best ever an editing movie ever and it's the same kind of thing there's a bunch of cops go into a building and then they lock the building down and then it's so they're like oh no we, it was a trap and like it's just like the one main cop who knows kung fu and so he has to fight his way all the way through and the whole thing takes place in a sim- simple location um and it's a very simple plot you know i think that's another thing that i i liked about die hard is that they attempted all these twists they tried to make it complicated try to make the villains more than just we're bad guys they were they were bad guys with a mission um and that that's something else i would i would add to my die hard uh, recipe i guess yeah and i guess um if i was going to try to add to this list i would definitely say it's actually about money that's like the the villain (laughs) is really after the money and and their political beliefs are paper thin uh which i think is i like that from die hard i think that's creative so um so I think yeah. we can, yeah, I think we can conclude that Die Hard may live on in, in other movies. You know, we can't, we can't rely on Die Hard, the franchise, to, um, to do it. Although, you know, there is one exception to that. And uh, let me play something for you. I think you'll recognize this. Well, you wanted the quiet life, John. Dead batteries, empty streets. Yo! Welcome to Advance Auto Parts. 
I need one of those. Is there another way out? So this is a die-hard batteries commercial. <laughs> so I don't know what this is, like how this got started, but there's this battery company, I guess, like for car batteries. Uh, that they're called die-hard batteries, and um, they got uh, Bruce Willis to be in a extended two-minute commercial where he uh, fights off a bunch of bad guys while he tries to put a battery in his car. And Argyle shows up and drives a limousine. Um, it's a it's a pretty involved commercial. <laughs> yeah, For and several million dollars went into this. <laughs> we uh, came across this on one of the Affable Chat live streams, and I got to realize in real time that the sixth Die Hard is actually a battery commercial. Yes, yeah, so advanced which, autos, which, auto parts, Die Hard battery commercial yes which actually after seeing the fifth one is like the logical conclusion to the series <laughs> like this passes for just, die hard yeah, at just this go point. from product placement to products yeah instead. only yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's pretty ridiculous although i think it's effective marketing yeah. like if you put me in an auto parts store or you know I'm, i have a dead battery and they're saying you can get this battery or the die hard battery and they're equally good, just, you know, yeah. you choose. I'm getting the diehard battery. I mean, at yeah. this point. <laughs> <laughs> just to say you did, basically. Well, I don't know anything about batteries. Maybe that's yeah. a terrible choice, but I, I'm just a consumer. So this I'll get the platinum line. on it that the, this woman at the Advanced Auto is, is uh, saying. So that's got, that means it's good, right? Platinum. Right. Oh, totally. I mean, I'd slap a Mercedes Benz logo on it, then I know for sure that it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I want to know, Joey, what's your official Die Hard ranking? Like, what order would you put the films in? Okay. Um, so I think I'm going to agree with Daniel O'Brien's, I think. I think what he said is generally true. I'd say, which is one, then three, two, four, five. That's my list as well. And I think that that's honestly, I wish this was a more compelling conversation because I feel like that's the obvious order to put it <laughs> It <in>. is. I <laughs> think it is. I mean, the, the third one was, again, directed by John Matiernan for a second time. So he was Return of the Original Auteur, you might say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it introduced new elements that I think stuck around, like the buddy cop thing and everything. There's a lot that it does that is really memorable. Um, and that is, and it executes the john mcclean as the everyman better than die hard 2 even though i think die hard 2 die hard 2's plane crash is one of the most iconic moments in the whole series like probably top two or three um in, in my opinion yeah totally agree and um and then the fourth one like we said it feels like that's where we start to lose the real like true essence of die hard and then clearly the fifth one is bad trash as, uh, <laughs> as we're getting to the end of this podcast where we're actually talking about that uh so are, are we ready to move on to our ratings today? yes okay so we did just talk about die hard as a series back to just the fifth one just to a, a good day to die hard what rating do you want to give this movie joey I give this movie a nice nap in the third act. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, I give this movie a big bottle of vodka so I can forget I ever watched it. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. That's that's it. That's all of Die Hard. I can't believe we did it. I never thought we'd get here. (laughs) I really, I feel like I just finished a really long journey. Yes. 
I'm glad we watched it. I am. Even though I had a lot of uh, criticisms for this series as we went through it, I, I, I really do feel good about having watched all yeah. five Die Hard. I can feel, I feel like I can say I'm a Die Hard fan at, at this point. I've seen all the movies, talked about them extensively. So Yeah, yeah, same. So that's the end of Die Hard. What's next on Affable Chat? Next, we're doing a special episode of Leaving Las Vegas. That's right. We're actually going to be going to Las Vegas and doing a little bit of in-person research for the podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and we're going to be reviewing the movie Leaving Las Vegas. I've been told it's Nick Cage's best. Wow. It's, it's the best Cage. So uh, we'll be deciding if that's true or not on our next episode. Subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Affable Chat, or send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel where there are videos of us. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's on YouTube. It's called Apple Chat. <laughs> yes. And um, Apple Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time uh, on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Affable Chat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Apple Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>